that name, that name, what a beautiful name it is. Someday in this world, our eyes will close. And when they open once again, we'll realize we're not where we were. And we will see a face. And our lips for the first time will be able to match the name with the face. And we'll say, Jesus. Jesus. Why do you love us this much? Thank you for loving us this much. Amen. <clears throat> wow, it's beautiful and moving music. <laughs> Followed by <laughs> a goofy kid <laughs> floating through the air. Sorry about that. Didn't think through that transition very well. <clears throat> There's this question that we ask little kids. You know the question. What do you want to be when you grow up? I thought about that question a bit this past week. Why do we ask it? You know, we're talking to this child, four, five, six, seven, eight years old. Why do we ask them that question? Is it because we don't know what else to say to a little kid? We're kind of at a loss. I don't know. You asked them if they like their cookies, and uh, I don't know. What do you want to be when you grow up? Is it because we want them to start to inspire them to think about their future? Hey, I know you're four now, but someday you got to go to work, and you want to choose a good job. (laughs) Get at that, kiddo. Um, is it because you wonder how a little child's mind works? I got to admit, that's probably one of the reasons I ask it. I just love to see the little gears turn and try to figure out what's going on inside of that little skull of mush. It's kind of fun to see that, you know? I wonder, though, if it's because it takes us back to our own hopes and dreams. What did you want to be when you grew up? So I want to do a quick survey. I hope you don't mind. Um, I'd like to ask you some questions having to do with that very question. When you were a little kid, did you know what you wanted to be when you grew up? Now, I'm not saying you're doing it right now, but how many of you, if if an adult in your life asked you that question, boom, you could say with confidence what you wanted to be. Raise your hand. Not a, not a ton of you. How many of you, when you were asked that question, ah, you didn't have a clue. You just kind of zombie face. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I think I was more in that category, to be honest. For those of you that thought you knew what you wanted to do when you grew up, how close do you matter? In other words, are you doing what you said you were going to do? Wow, like three people, four people. Okay. How many of you, it's like a million miles away from, yeah, that's more like it, right? You probably wanted to be one of these guys right here. Want to be an astronaut, want to do something, something amazing like that. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> from the time we're young, we start to have a sense of our future and what we hope to be or do one day. I, I love watching little kids play work. Isn't it kind of fun? Pretending to be doctors and nurses and garbage men and rock stars 
Hey, shoot, as, as a kid, I played pastor. I'm not kidding. I, I, one day, I got my siblings all sitting on the front porch in the rows, and, and I served them communion. It was great. I'm not kidding. I'm totally serious. Neighbors must have thought we were nuts, you know, but... <clears throat> It'd be fun this morning to hear your job history, what you did, where you started, the twists, the turns, the hirings, the firings, the unexpected surprises, the, the seasons of grief, the whole works. Early work for me was lawn mowing and babysitting. I, I cut the neighbor's lawn for three bucks, and I babysat for even less. I think my first official paycheck was from the North Tonawanda Parks District. I remember getting my check and looking at that little piece of paper attached to it and wondering who this Ficka guy was who was horning in on my earnings. <clears throat> I had a lot of fun, really, early with work. I, I worked at a botanical garden. I was a supervisor for the CETA program back when that existed. I bust tables. I washed dishes. I cooked. I baked. I've, just, I've done a wide variety of things along the way. Isn't it interesting that for so many of us, work shifts from something we eagerly anticipated. We were excited about it as little kids to something that we dread every Monday. I suspect at least a few of you could tell us how many Mondays you have to endure until the retirement party. Mike? 155. There it is. Yep, yep, yep. We can do that. <clears throat> Our series is entitled, What Do You Do When? What do you do when? Life hands us some sticky situations, and we, and we turn to someone for advice, for guidance. So we've talked about, what do you do when your heroes let you down? When some of you greatly admired falls from grace, what do we do with that? What do we do when conversations turn combative? When, when we're supposed to be having just a great interchange, and all of a sudden, it turns into a holy war. Today, what do you do when your job is ruining your life? I mean, this thing, you got to go to work, and you find that your job is actually not life-giving anymore, but it's become life-draining. Your job, for one reason or another, has gone from a, from a daydream to a nightmare. Jobs go south for a variety of reasons. Some I'd put in a category I might call um, surface reasons, or, or maybe another word would be common reasons. Uh, bad boss crazy co-workers, insane requirements and regulations, more, more hours, uh, more things to do than hours to do them, excessive time away and travel, or maybe just the fact that now you're tethered to your job all the time because of technology. But others, others go maybe beyond the surface to some deep internal battles, like going to work every day and just having this sense of a total lack of fulfillment, boredom. Identity confusion, when, when what I do becomes what I am, or maybe just that itch for change. You've been doing this for a while, and you're just like, same song, second verse, I, I need something else. Well, in the time allotted, I'm sure that we cannot address every issue that everybody faces. My hope is that today we would kind of pull back and, and get a big picture a bird's eye view, or maybe better yet, a God's eye view of our labor. And, and that broad perspective will help us then to address next Monday when we head to work. I'd like to look at some common myths about work. And I think these myths really reinforce our resentment of Mondays. It really is some of what causes us to 
to look at work in a non-biblical uh, way. The first myth is that work is the result of the curse. Work, work is the result of, of the fall of Adam and Eve. It's a rather, inclin, rather natural inclination to think of work as punishment. We did bad, and so God is punishing us by making us do something that's not very fun. And God is a very clever parent. He doesn't send us to our room where we could just get self-entertained. No, he sends us to work, to joyless labor. He sends us off to the rock pile. Genesis 3 describes the fall of Adam and Eve. Post-fall, after the fall, God assigns a list of consequences for sin to the serpent, the woman, and the man. So in Genesis 3.16, he says to the woman... I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth, and you will desire to control your husband, and he will roll over you. And then he goes on in verse 17 to talk to Adam. He says, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, whose fruit I command you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. You were made from dust, and to dust you will return. A surface reading of these passages seems to say that because the woman sinned, she'll have pain in childbirth, and because the man sinned, he's got to go to work. Unfortunately, a surface reading is not an accurate reading. God says to the woman that her pain would be increased. Not that there was no pain before, but that the pain would be increased. You see, all pain is not the result of the fall. When Adam and Eve stepped on something sharp in the garden, it hurt. It's not as if everything in the garden had rounded safety edges or something like that. Pain let them know, move that foot. It's the natural consequences of stepping on something sharp. God said the severity of pain would increase. The same logic applies to Adam. God does not say time to go to work is punishment. He says all your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. The severity, the intensity, the frustration, and the obstacles will increase. Go back to Genesis 1 with me. In verse 28 we read, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. We get to Genesis 2.15 and we read, The Lord placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. Look at those words. Subdue it. Work it. Tend it. Watch over it. This is work. This is labor pre-fall. Work is not the result of a curse. Work is the result of being created in the image and likeness of God. What is quite literally the first thing we see God doing in the Bible. He's working. He's creating. The answer you gave so enthusiastically to an adult in your life when they asked, what do you want to be when you grow up, is an uninhibited response to the living image of God stamped in you and on you. The itch to work is a reflection of God's character living in you. The curse was not a command to go to work. The curse made work hard. The curse made Mondays miserable. 
Now you spend all your life struggling and scratching to make a living from it, as the Bible said. Your work, while maybe not that of a farmer, has lots of thorns and thistles. And we will sweat. Thorns, thistles, and sweat remind us every day that the world is broken. It's not the way it was supposed to be. And it reminds us that we need a Savior. Struggle tells us that something is not right. Our childhood dream was God's dream as well. But God's dream, as well as ours, has been stained by sin. So we need to accept and live in this reality. No job, no role will ever be perfect. We will always have thorns and thistles. We are commanded to subdue them, but they'll always be there. I truly believe the weeds keep our hearts longing for our true home. It's God's way of saying, Go get, don't get too comfortable here. I go to prepare a place for you, a perfect place, a thorn-free place, a weed-free place. There is no such thing on earth as a thorn-free workplace. And the sooner we embrace that, the better off we'll be. It is the ultimate mental health day when I finally accept this. Life here is not perfect, and that's okay. Work is not problem-free, and that's okay too. We know why it is not perfect. And we look forward to the day when we will be home. Our first myth, of the fantasy that work is the result of sin and the fall, can cause work to ruin our lives. And so can a second very powerful myth. That is, I am what I do. I am what I do. Who are you? Who are you? To that question around here, I might hear answers like, I am a pastor, I'm an orthodontist, I'm an engineer, I'm a bricklayer, I'm a law enforcement officer, I'm a teacher, I'm an accountant, I'm a student, I'm a crane operator, I'm a manager, I'm a salesperson, I'm an EMT, I'm a firefighter, I'm a personal assistant, I'm a designer, I'm a painter, I'm an electrician, I'm a slave to ComEd, I'm a counselor, I'm retired, and the list goes on and on. But that's not the question I asked. I asked, who are you? Not what do you do. Who are you? Who I am and what I do are not the same animal. There are times that our occupation and our identity get so intertwined that it threatens to ruin our lives. Embedded in this myth are, are a couple of other myths that need debunking as well. When I say, who are you? And, and that is not the same as what you do. You may be, hear me saying something like this. You need to go make money so that you can do what you want to do and be who you want to be. And job is just kind of utilitarian. A job gives us the resources to do what we want. If that is your view, I, I understand part of your frustration. You, for you see, work is not my identity, but my work is a way that I live out my identity. Work is not my identity, but it is not possible to do my work apart from my identity. Work is to be lived out of my personal sense of calling. Every one of us is called. Every person in this room is called. 
Next Saturday night at 6, we'll gather here in this space to honor the life of Roger Swank. I can say with confidence that Roger brought his calling to work with him every day, as well as his brown briefcase. He was not a teacher by identity or calling. He was a follower of Jesus Christ, longing to see others become followers of Jesus Christ. He brought his calling to his workplace. His workplace did not define him. His identity or his calling defined the way he worked. I reference Roger because he had a, he had a theological pet peeve, one that I shared with him. Roger would get really irritated when a person who was going to Bible college or seminary or the mission field or into the pastorate would say that they were going into full-time Christian service. He'd get irritated in institutions, primarily evangelical education institutions, that would make a distinction between those pursuing full-time ministerial vocation and the rest of the rabble. Roger knew that there's no such thing as full-time vocational Christian ministry and then secular vocations. The thing that defines the nature of the vocation is not the job description, but the calling of the laborer, who the laborer is and the identity that they bring to that role. I am called. And guess what? You are called as well. My mind harkens back to the words of Jesus in Mark chapter 1. First recorded words of Jesus in this particular gospel are an invitation. In Mark 1 verse 16 he says, it says, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother casting nets into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Jesus first words challenge the mindset of these guys. What are you, a fisherman? I'll show you how to really fish. He challenges them to move beyond heading out to a boat every day to make a living and instead to live out a true sense of call wherever they went, whether in a boat or in a synagogue or in a marketplace, wherever. If you find yourself bored at work, I'd challenge you with this question. Who are you? Who are you? The answer will reveal whether you are simply playing out a vocation or living out your calling. Jesus calls us to something more essential than making a living. He calls us to a life worth living. Is it possible that your job is ruining your life because you've lost your sense of calling? Or you've never even brought your sense of calling to the workplace ever? By calling, I'm not saying that we do a number of surface things like, you know, bring a Bible to work and place it on our desk or, or post a, a calendar with Bible verses on it or insist that everybody in the lunchroom says grace. No, it's more fundamental than that. At its core, we need to ask, how do I move beyond what I do to living out the reason Jesus put me here. Why did Jesus put you at your job? He did. Why did Jesus put you at your... Do you wake up every day and ask Jesus, why did you put me here? Not in despair, why did you put me here? But Why did you put me here today? Well, you, know, you go to your boss and ask, so what's the list? Have you ever asked Jesus, so what's the list? 
Why did you put me here today? Because I know I'm not here by accident. I know this is my calling. I mentioned before an ancient writing by a theologian named Ignatius. He wrote a document called principle, The principle, First Principle and Foundation. He ends it by saying, We should not fix our desires on health or sickness, wealth or poverty, success or failure, a long life or a short one, for everything has the potential of calling forth in us a deeper response to our life in God. Many of us think our lives would be much better off if we could just change jobs. And probably states too, right? But anyway, if we could just change jobs, everything will be okay. But, but here's the thing. Thorns and thistles exist at every job. The potential of confusing being and doing exists at every job. We must choose to bring a sense of calling with us to every activity of life. If it is a primarily diff- if, if, it is a, if it is a particularly difficult season for you at work, you might want to adopt the final part of his statement. He writes at the end, our only desire and our one choice is this, I want and I choose what better leads to God deepening in his life in me. Is it possible that the season you're going through right now is a season that God says we can't get there any other way? This is the path. This is the path. This is the path I want you to walk. Do you want and choose what leads to God deepening his life in you. Believe it or not, that could be your job. Even if it has thorns and thistles, even when I, when I can work not to collect a paycheck, but to live out God's true sense of call. Let's hit one more myth. This is the myth that says work should fulfill me. Work should fulfill me. If my work is not fulfilling, I must have missed the mark. Somewhere along the way, I just, I just missed it altogether. All work, we think, should lead to this deep sense of, of satisfaction and fulfillment. I think teachers probably go through this in particular, right? You enter that first year going, I'm going to change lives. And by year 10, you're thinking about changing jobs. Yeah, it just, ah. Uh, it should lead to this deep, every day we should walk away saying, I'm so glad I could be a part of these wonderful kids' lives. Yeah. I've got like a page and a half left, and I just kind of introduced a sermon series here. But anyway, um, I would contend that the idea of work being a source of personal satisfaction and fulfillment is a very recent phenomenon. For like the previous six millennia, work was about survival. You planted something so you could eat it, and you did it again the next day or you made money, or wampum, or whatever, so you could go buy food from someone who grew it. You know, that, that's the way life worked. It's only really in the modern American era that fulfillment and satisfaction have become part of vocational selection. We are unique, and we need to see that. In a society bent on entertaining itself to death, I sometimes think we overplay the fulfillment card. Let me go back to the words of that theologian Ignatius once again. His, his statement starts with these words, the goal of our life is to live with God forever. That's it. Everything in life is about living with God forever. Whether you like your job or not, 
Whether you're happier, everything is about living with God forever. That's it. Literally everything about this life is aimed toward finding our lasting satisfaction in God alone. John Piper, a gifted Bible teacher, wrote these words in his book, Future Grace. Sin is what you do when your heart is not satisfied with God. Or what does that mean? All of life should be directed toward finding our satisfaction in God. That's where we get a little misdirected. We think these other things are going to give us the fulfillment that only God can truly give us in its fullest sense. Having a personal goal that every day of work must be rewarding and fulfilling falls short of the reason for your existence. We exist so that our hearts can be satisfied with God. We exist to live with God forever. Are my longings fulfilled in God? That's the question we need to be asking. And instead we get distracted by all the other things we think should be giving us fulfillment. The fulfillment God wants us to realize in our job is not as simplistic as, as good feelings that come when we get everything checked off our list every day. Deep fulfillment comes when we can see that the thorns can make us better, that we've lived out our sense of calling every day in our walk, and that all these things are leading toward God deepening his life in me. Now, I don't want it to seem as if I'm demeaning those who are seeking a rewarding job. That's not really the point. I just think it kind of misses the bigger picture. We're on the brink of football season starting once again. And every year there's a team or two that's just plain bad. I mean, they're, they're, they're dreadful. You, you pity the city. I think Cleveland comes to mind. Okay, places like that. Somewhere around week 14, one of those teams will have won like two games, and even those were squeakers. You know, it was a, the ref gave them a free pass, whatever. The quarterback in one of those games, one of those final games, lobs a pass into the end zone, and the receiver catches the ball and breaks into this celebration ceremony that would make you think he just won the Super Bowl and they were headed to Disney World. I get the fact that he feels good about the moment and all, but the reality is he has nothing to celebrate. He missed the bigger picture. He may have had a moment of personal joy, but the team goal was missed by a country mile. Seeking satisfaction through my job is kind of like that guy. It's not that work cannot be rewarding. It's just missing the bigger point. The goal of my life is finding complete satisfaction in Jesus. Not the momentary little victories along the way. Not the sugar substitutes. The real thing. The real thing. It's great when my job leads to a sense of fulfillment. But that is not the highest priority or goal of my life. The goal of my life is to live with God forever. The goal of our life is to find complete and lasting fulfillment in Him Anything less is just not the Super Bowl. So, is your job ruining your life because of thorns and thistles? Every job will have thorns and thistles. What are you going to do with them? Are you going to curse them? Or are you going to say, this is actually a tool that God is using to bring out the deeper life in me that he desires. 
Am I bringing my calling to my job? My identity is not what I do. Who I am. I bring who I am to my place of work. I find lasting fulfillment far beyond what I do for a living. I'm living for more. And so I hope, I hope that in this conversation, maybe our eyes are lifted a little higher. We step back a few feet. And we're able to see work the way God sees it. Not as an end in and of itself, but as a tool he's using to bring out something better in you and me and something he's using for us to bring better to someone else and for someone else. Father God in heaven, as we walk into work this week, give us a clearer vision of why we're there. Let us see a thorn or a thistle and just smile. To receive it as a tool that's changing us to be like you. Help us to untwine the ways in which what we do and who we are have become one and instead to bring who we are to what we do. And I pray for many of us that our jobs would be incredibly unrewarding and totally lacking in fulfillment so that we'd finally get that the only thing that should ever satisfy us is Jesus. Anything less is a sugar substitute. Thank you for work. Thank you for the way in which it reflects who you are in us. Thank you for implanting us in that in us so that we know, so that, that's what our Father looks like. Our Father loves labor. He loves work. He loves creating. And I know it because I can feel it in me too. In Jesus' name, amen. So in our final moments, uh, we'll have uh, offering this morning. Brian's not here, so I, I get kind of the whole day on my own. Labor Day, he's, he's off. You know, boy, oh boy, the kid has more friends getting married. It's crazy. Every time I turn around, another wedding. So they're weddinging today, and servers are coming now to receive the offering. Let me walk you through a, a few things that you need to know, and, and pretty much all of them are related to next week. So, um, oh, Elam, I didn't put this in there. Can you go... Can you go to the opening slides and you'll find the email that we sent out today and then hit freeze or it'll just keep scrolling. Do you know where freeze is? Cool. So you should have received this uh, earlier this week. Yeah, he'll, he'll get it. Don't worry. You should have received this earlier this week and then you received it again today. Next week, we're doing the dedication of our, of our new area out there. Exciting day, fun day. We wanted to make sure that we celebrate. Sometimes, you know, we can be kind of furrowbrow, good, straight to work. And so it's like, okay, let's just do the next thing instead of stopping and saying, come and see what God has done. Kind of an amazing moment, what, what's happened here. And we're going to walk through some of, the, some of the fun that's happened over the past 10 years here at our church. So the morning looks different than normal. If you come to nine o'clock church, this part's going to look pretty much the way it does right now. Okay, so if you show up at nine o'clock, you're where you're supposed to be and everything's kind of the way it would normally be. Childcare is just like normal. The whole works, all that happens. 
Then between the end of this service and the beginning of the next segment of the morning, we'll be moving from here over into the new Family Life Center. And we'll be spending the next half of the morning with a bunch of baptisms, followed by uh, an actual dedication in that room, and then a celebration lunch. I made the mistake last week of saying picnic, and some of you got afraid that we were going to have you outside in the heat. It's a lunch. We, we have air conditioning, and we can still afford it, so we'll have the air on, and you'll be able to be inside. And then, and then there will be activities around the property for kids and for you. You can go wander the back, or you can stay planted in a chair at a table. That's fine. It's a day that you just kind of get to celebrate life here as a church family. So normal service at 9 at 10.30, we're over there with baptisms and a dedication piece and then our meal together. Does that make sense? So it's not, it's not two normal services. If you show up at 10.30 next week and you come in this room, uh, it'll be a quiet prayer station. You can just sit here alone because we're going to be over having fun in the other space. So did I say that right? Do you think that was pretty clear? All right. I'm trying to see what else is up here. So um, like I said, kids will be in their normal space, which means our child care workers are making the sacrifice of missing the nine o'clock service, but, but we're saving the special stuff for over there, okay? So you don't have to worry that you're, you're missing out on, this, this is going to be boring church just like normal. The excitement happens over there, okay? Um, so that's normal. For lunch, what we need, we need for you to register just so that we know how many people are coming. Here's the thing, if you don't register next week, you're still allowed to come okay? We're not going to say, sorry, no registration. Go to Grace. We're not doing that to you, okay? Uh, you'll, you'll be able to stay, you'll be able to eat, and all that, but it just helps us to know how much food. I've said this in the past, the last thing we want to do is run out of food. Very important that we have enough food. We don't want to overpurchase and have too much, so, so that helps us with that. And then what we're asking you to do is to bring two of your favorite dishes to share. Dishes don't mean dishes, it means food. So, um, <laughs> We, here's what I love about this part. Y'all have something at your house that you make that's your thing. And it's been amazing how many times that you bring your thing, and before you know it, someone else is asking, hey, how do you make that thing? I mean, it wasn't too long ago. I think the, uh, the last day Aubrey's were here, someone showed up with a plate full of wonderful food, and it was something that had been made at an event, and Dana said, wow, I really love that. And it gives us a chance to get to know who each other are and what we're all about. So, so bring something that's kind of your family thing. And you're like, well, your family thing is the jewel deli. Okay, I, I get that. And, you know, I know some of you will do that, but let's, let's not do too much jewel deli. We'd like to actually see what you bring, what you make. So, um, again, if you're not able to bring something, you are still more than welcome to stay. We just want to make sure that we have enough of everything. So, ah, uh, I think that is everything. We're going to provide the hot dogs, brats, drinks, condiments, plates, napkins, cutlery, and serving utensils, all there just for you. So it'll be fun to experiment with this new space, see how we have it set up. It's going to be a great time. And then we're going to be doing baptisms, and the baptisms will be in the gym with a new indoor uh, portable baptistry that we're going to be using that's going to be wonderful. So what I'd like to do as soon as this service ends, if you're one of the people that is either 
planning on getting baptized next week. You've, you've indicated in the past that you want to be part of the part of the baptisms next week. Or maybe more recently you've been thinking, I want to do this. Right after the service, we'll have the normal, we'll have a person over here praying for those that want prayer. And over at this table, I'll be standing over here. And if you're one of those people, would you just come on up front so that we can check in on some of the details of next week so that you know exactly what's going on. Okay? I think that's everything. So let's go ahead and stand. We'll close in prayer. Father in heaven, we look forward to the weekend that you've given to us. For many of us, a a day off tomorrow to be able to uh, spend time with family and friends, to be able to get up a little bit later than we would normally, to do some of the things that we don't always get a chance to do because of of life just uh, continuing to roll on. I pray that we would enjoy the day, that we would find ourselves greatly appreciating the relationships that you've given us in and because of Jesus Christ. And then as we head off to work on Tuesday, God, I pray that we would find a new sense of, um, of just real energy as we head off to work because we realize that, my goodness, work, work is the chance to express who God is to the world and to live out a calling that is wonderful and beautiful and placed on every one of us. And so in that, I pray, in the, in the realization of that calling, that's where the fulfillment and satisfaction would come because we'd realize that is really an expression of our relationship with you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.